Turn now to Acts chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11. That is on page 911, if you have the Pew Bible. Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders from Deuteronomy 18 and Acts 3 about the promise that your son would speak to us, the truth that he would speak to us, the words of life. God, thank you that these very words are the words we have before us. God, may we look to you. May we listen to your voice speaking through your word and your spirit this morning. God, may we have ears to hear what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. To give you an idea of where we're going here, 
have been mentioning for a while that we're going to be in the minor prophets. We are going to be spending the next 34 weeks, uh, including this week, on the minor prophets. Uh, there are going to be two opening messages today and next week. We're going to be looking at identity and calling of the prophets, piggybacking a little bit off of what we talked about last week in First Peter 2. Uh, I would encourage you, if, especially uh, obviously, if you're here today, you're hearing this message, so you don't need to go back and listen to it. But if you're not able to be here next week, I really would encourage you to listen to that message. We'll be sending out a reminder for those who are not able to be here this week. Uh, but we really want you guys to be able to, to hear both of these first two messages kind of as, as foundational um, introductions, I guess, to where we're going here. So our, after these first two weeks, we're going to be spending 32 weeks in 11 of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, obviously, James and some others preached through Jonah this summer. Uh, so we're not going to preach through Jonah again, but we're going to be coming, covering the other 11 minor prophets. Uh, if you can do the math, 32 weeks, 11 books. We're going to be spending less than three weeks uh, per book. So there is a lot of material uh, to cover. There's also in the uh, minor prophets, there is a lot of repetition. So uh, we want to cover as much ground as we can, but we also don't want to get bogged down in a lot of uh, specific details. So there are going to be some weeks where there's kind of covering a lot of ground, doing a lot of overview work, but hopefully uh, this week and next week will be helpful to kind of set the stage for that and lay the foundation for both understanding and interpreting uh, the minor prophets. Kind of was thinking about it this way. If you have a, if you have a study Bible uh, and in the beginning of each book, there's kind of that introduction that goes through themes and and background information that's a little bit what these two two weeks are going to be like it's kind of going to be that setting the stage for what you're going to be reading type of thing so that's why we really want to emphasize this and i think we always need to be asking the question what is our aim here what is our aim in uh in anything we do but especially what is our aim as we go through the minor prophets well if the chief end of man as we see in Westminster Shorter Catechism 1, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then we need to seek to know this God on his terms as he has revealed himself to his people. And digging into the minor prophets really challenges us to do this. And in order to understand the prophets, we need to understand a little bit about them, particularly the origin of the prophets. And that's what Deuteronomy 18 really helps us to do. You can uh, turn back there with me to Deuteronomy 18, again, page 161. We read this in our Old Testament reading. And just to kind of summarize what we looked at, uh, verses 9 through 14, again, is this reminder to the people of Israel that they cannot do these things like verse 10, practicing divination, telling fortunes, interpret omens, uh, going to sorcerers or charmers or necromancers or those who inquire from the dead. Uh, these things are abominations to the Lord. And the call in verse 13 is that the people shall be blameless or they shall be holy before the Lord. And then there's a reminder in verse 14 that these nations, these other nations who are doing these things, which they are about to dispossess, they listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord says, uh, the Lord has not allowed you to do this. So there's to be this distinction between the people of, of God and the nations. Who are they listening to? 
Are they listening to God or are they listening to all the chirping, all the other voices around them? That's a key kind of theme throughout the prophets. And then verse 15 is really kind of the beginning, this kind of key text in this section uh, where it says, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This theme is picked back up in verse 18 through 22, where it kind of expands upon this. It gives the penalty for people not listening uh, to God, but instead listening to the false prophets who are speaking and prophesying lies to God's people. And then verse 16 here is, is really crucial. It says, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And this points back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. This is actually the people's response to Moses after God gives the Ten Commandments. They're saying, we don't want to hear the voice of the Lord ourselves because we are terrified and this is kind of gets into this this need of a mediator right a mediator a covenant mediator to speak between God and the people and that was the role that Moses was fulfilling but ultimately what we see here is that there's this linking between Moses and this future prophet that is promised this prophet who will come who will be raised up uh, from among them and it says in verse 18 that God will put his words in his mouth and he shall speak all that I command him. Now, in the summer of 2021, last summer, we preached a series on prophet, priest, and king. We looked at how Jesus fulfills each of those offices of prophet, priest, and king. And for each one, prophet, priest, and king, we had four messages. We did two Old Testament messages to kind of give us some foundational background information. And for prophet, we looked at Deuteronomy 18 in one of those. Uh, and then we did two New Testament passages for each. We looked at how Jesus fulfills that office. And then we looked at how it applies to us today as a church. So with prophecy, in other words, not uh, are, are there modern day prophets or are we uh, as individual Christians, do we have the gift of prophecy, but saying, as God's people today, as the church, how do we walk in that role of being those who declare the word of God to uh, the, the world around us? So I would encourage you, if you're, if you're interested, maybe if you've got a long road trip coming up, uh, you could go back and listen to those messages from the summer of 2021. They're all on our website or our podcast. It's June 13th to July 4th. Uh, so those four would kind of give you a, some more background information of what we're going to be talking about here as we go through the prophets. And then that's kind of all, that framework is a little bit how I want to frame the message today then. So we're going to be looking at uh, Old Testament. Uh, we're going to have three questions, one related to the Old Testament and then two related to the New Testament. So the three questions are, first, who were the prophets? So looking at the Old Testament, who were the prophets? Second question is, who is the prophet? Uh, no surprise here from our passages that we've looked at. We're going to be talking about Jesus being that promised prophet. And then the third question is, why does it matter for the church of Jesus Christ today? So who are the prophets? Who is the prophet? And why does it matter for the church of Jesus Christ today? First, who were the prophets? I want us to look at this kind of from two different angles. The first one is just simply in terms of their names and identities. Who were they, right? Who were they as individual people? 
first one we kind of see here is Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, Moses is the prototypical prophet. Now, Abraham is referred to as a prophet. Obviously, Noah fulfilled some prophetic roles in how he spoke uh, to the people about God's coming judgment. But really, kind of the first time we see this idea of someone really operating this office of prophet, it is Moses. And we're going to unpack some more of Deuteronomy 18 uh, in a little bit. And then, uh, so from Moses, we go to Samuel. Uh, Samuel, you remember that call that God had on Samuel's life. Samuel actually kind of interestingly operated in both the role of a prophet and a priest. Uh, Samuel's name itself means heard of God. So there's this kind of identity that Samuel has in his name and being a prophet of God. Then we, we go into the kings. We get into Elijah and Elisha. They were the prophets who worked signs and wonders. Uh, they confronted kings. Uh, they acted out some different uh, things in their, in their ministries. And uh, that was a very unique kind of time in, in the prophetic ministry in Israel. And then we transition into the writing prophets. So you've probably heard the terms before that are kind of the dividers for the writing prophets. They're divided into major prophets and minor prophets. Major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now they're called major, not because of their importance. It doesn't mean that they're more important than the minor prophets, but it's simply because of the length of their writings. The minor prophets... Uh, sometimes referred to as the 12, which is kind of our, uh, our title for this whole sermon series is going to be the 12 minor prophets with a major message. So if you hear that term, the 12, that's, that's talking about the minor prophets. Uh, and again, when we say minor here, it doesn't mean that they're uh, less important than what we call the major prophets, but it's just that they are shorter. Uh, actually, all, if you look in your Bible, if you have the ESV, like looking at the uh, pew Bibles here, the, all of them, all 12 of the minor prophets together take up about 52 pages in the ESV. Jeremiah itself takes up 58 pages. Okay. So the major prophets all were able to fit on one individual scroll. And then the minor prophets all fit together on one scroll. So again, that's kind of the big distinction between major and minor. It's just a, it's just in terms of length. It doesn't have anything to do with their importance. Uh, my guess is that if you were to look at your Bibles right now, if you have an actual print Bible, if you hold it up, my guess is that the cleanest looking pages here and the least well-worn pages in your Bible is probably the Minor Prophets. Uh, it's not where you spend most of your time. Uh, if you are looking for a place to go for just maybe to be encouraged in your day or to find a verse to send to a friend, you're probably not going to the minor prophets. You might even be wondering, are there any encouraging verses in the minor prophets at all? Let me tell you, yes, there are. But again, it's probably not the first place we think to go to. Uh, Thomas McComiskey, uh, he in his preface to his massive, he's got a commentary, probably 800 pages. It's huge, it's in our office. In the preface to his massive commentary on the Minor Prophets, he writes this. He says, the corpus of biblical books we call the Minor Prophets has not enjoyed great prominence in the history of biblical interpretation. 
it is not difficult to understand why this is so. Where is the edification for a modern Christian in a dirge celebrating the downfall of an ancient city? How can the gloomy forecasts of captivity for Israel and Judah lift the heart today? The minor prophets seem to have been preoccupied with nations and events that have little relevance to today's world. And then kind of sarcastically, I think he says, how unlike the New Testament they are. But he says, a careful study of these prophets, however, reveals that many of the themes they expound transit the Testaments. They speak of the love of God as well as his justice. Their prophecies are not all doom, but are often rich with hope. And this sp speaks a bit to the second angle that we'll consider, and that is the office of prophet. So we looked at the individual kind of identities. Now we're going to look at the office. One way to think about the prophets, and we have it in our sermon title today, is that they are covenant enforcers. They are enforcers both of God's covenant and his law. Uh, James is going to be talking about that a bit more next week when we look at uh, the, the calling of the prophets to be covenant enforcers, but that is that is who they are. We'll, we'll, again, we'll see what that looks like more next week. They are also foretellers. If you turn back now to Acts chapter 3, we're spending the bulk of our time here now in Acts chapter 3. We'll see this element of them being foretellers in Acts 3.18. It says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, this foretelling, we need to be clear here, is not mainly in a predictive sense. Uh, there are elements of that in the minor prophets, but the main idea is that they are declaring the word of the Lord. And what did they uh, declare, uh, the, the word and the will of the Lord? What did they declare then when they did this? Mainly two things, and there are uh, these major themes that we'll see repeated uh, in the next eight months. These two kind of major themes, and we've talked about this a lot in different times as we've uh, been in some prophetic literature, is that the two themes are judgment, judgment and exile, they kind of go together, judgment and exile, and then restoration. So we see here in our passage this idea of judgment in Acts chapter 3, look at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Down to verse 23, then it says, It shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So there's this need for a repentance, uh, for turning, and there's this warning of uh, destruction or being cut off from God's people. Then the, the other side of the coin from judgment and exile is restoration. We see that in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 20. So they're told to repent. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So the minor prophets were talking about restoration from physical exile, the people being uh, sent into exile, northern kingdom uh, being exiled to Babylon, southern kingdom being exiled uh, to Assyria. We'll be getting into more of those details as we go, but they're, they're talking about 
actual physical restoration from exile, but then they're also pointing forward to the other major theme, uh, which is the theme of the day of the Lord. And this kind of refers to both the first and second coming of Jesus. So in terms of uh, who the prophets are and what they do, they also are proclaimers of the last days. Look at Acts 3, verse 24. It says, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. So all of the prophets, uh, including uh, Elijah and Elisha, the, the major prophets, the minor prophets, they all are those who proclaimed these days. That is the day of the Lord, both again in the first coming of Jesus and in his second coming. Last week, we talked about the idea of an anniversary, how on an anniversary, we look back, right? We look back to the start of some, the beginning of some event, uh, and then we fix ourselves in the present. We celebrate by looking back, but then we also look forward. If it's a wedding anniversary of, of so many years, 20 years, for example, we say, we look back and say, wow, praise God for these 20 years, and let's look forward to another 20 years. So we're all, we always have this element of of looking back and looking forward. And, and so it is with the day of the Lord. Okay, next question then is, who is the prophet? Peter here in his speech in Solomon's portico is addressing those who are astounded at the healing of the blind beggar that took place in the previous section. He hits them with a question in verse 12 that takes the focus off of Peter and John and puts it on Jesus. He addresses the people. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Look at verses 13 through 16 with me. He's going to unpack who Jesus is and why this is so important. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, again, pointing back here, he glorified his servant or his child, that word can be translated, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. This emphasis here that Jesus is the child of God, the servant of God, he's the holy and righteous one, he's the author of life, he's the resurrected one, and he is the healer of this lame beggar. These are important things as we understand who Jesus is as the prophet. He's not just some other human like Moses was. He is the very son of God, which is emphasized in his work here in healing this man. Then in verses 17 through 26, Peter explains how Jesus is the long-awaited prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. Notice the massive message of mercy, grace, and forgiveness here. The people here have just been told that they are guilty of killing the author of life. This is no small thing. And now they get 
The words from Peter in verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. And then verse 18 essentially says, and you should have known because God foretold it. In other words, if you would have paid attention to what the prophets said and what they had been speaking even up until this time through the word of God, you would have recognized who Jesus is. Verses 19 through 20, as we already looked at, they hold out the hope of repentance, of refreshing and restoration. That was the message of the prophets. That is the key focus of the prophets. It's being reiterated here to God's people, even as they're being accused of killing Jesus. Jesus is the one who God promised he would raise up like Moses. See verse 22. The Jews of Peter's day, they did not listen to Jesus, just like in the Old Testament, they did not listen to the prophets. The consequences for not listening are serious. Life and death serious. Again, look at verse 23. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. This is not like some light thing here. This is talking about being destroyed and cut off from the people. But again, God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, as he said to Moses in Exodus 34. And we see this faithfulness of God to his people in verses 25 and 26. He says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, while this here, these verses are obviously speaking to first century Jewish descendants of the prophets, it's not excluding all of those who would believe in Jesus afterwards. We are those who are blessed because of the offspring of Abraham. We are those who are in Christ and therefore also spiritually offspring of Abraham. We are recipients of these promises. And as God's people today, as the church, there is a solidarity that we share with these first century Jewish believers who became believers in Jesus as they were also looking back to the minor prophets and the messages that the prophets communicated about the coming of Jesus. So there is a solidarity that we have with them. This is very similar to the truth that is also communicated by the author of Hebrews and the opening lines of that great letter that we preached through this past year. The author of Hebrews begins, he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, notice that language. We're going to be seeing that throughout the minor prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Notice the parallels here to Acts chapter 3. Jesus is the author of life. He goes on, he says, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent 
than theirs. This is why we need to listen to Jesus. He is the prophet through whom God has fully and finally spoken to us. The minor prophets all point us to him just as the rest of the scriptures do. Third question then, kind of bringing it home practically. What does it matter for the church of, or why does it matter for the church of Jesus Christ today? Well, we can't seek to understand the identity and the calling of the minor prophets without first situating them in the grand drama of redemption. In other words, in other words we need to know their place in redemption history as we seek to also know ours. This is a little bit like uh, doing some genealogy work, trying to figure out your fam- family tree, right? You go back and you try to see all these connections. You try to see all of these people who are, are connected and where they came from. And, and then you get to yourself today and you have an understanding of, of how your story fits into the story of all these other people who came before you. In a sense, the, some, some of the things that we're going to be tracing here are like that. We're going to trace God's story of redemption back through the minor prophets and see how all these things are connected that get us from the minor prophets through Jesus to where we are today as God's people. And I want to argue that as we go through this, these these passages, these details that might seem very foreign to us, might seem overwhelming to us, they are not irrelevant to us today as new covenant believers. The call to forsake idolatry that they that they had given to them by the prophets, so that call still applies to us today. The call to love God and neighbor still applies to us today. The call to live in light of the reality of the unchanging character of God. We need to still know God in the same way that he was known then. So all of these things, all these details from the line of prophets are still very relevant to our lives today. I have another book recommendation for you. Um, Sorry, I gave you a lot last week, but this, uh, this one is one that James and I are uh, going to be referencing uh, quite a bit and using throughout this series. It's called The Christ of the Prophets by O. Palmer Robertson. Uh, if you're looking to dive into some good biblical theology, uh, O. Palmer Robertson has a series of books. The kind of the first one that I read was The Christ of the Covenants, a great explanation of covenant theology. If you're looking for a, if you kind of have heard that term covenant theology or covenants and you want a better understanding of of what that means. Uh, o. Palmer Roberts's book, The Christ of the Covenants, is great. He also has a book, The Christ of Wisdom, looking at wisdom literature, obviously. Uh, he has a book called The Flow of the Psalms, which is a great look at the Psalms. And then uh, The Christ of Consummation, which was just released this year, uh, looking at the Gospels. But this is what uh, Robertson has to say about the relevance of the writing prophets for us today. He says that they were meant for all future generations until the time of the triumphant coming of the expected Messiah that it would eventually bring about the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. So for all generations, even until today, the inspired writings of the prophets speak without the turning to God in faith and repentance that they demand their words will not be rightly heard. But for all generations and all peoples who will read and hear 
with the understanding that only faith can give, they will forever bring the message of hope and restoration. It is for this reason that the writings of these prophets of old must be heard anew. They speak today just as clearly as they spoke at the time of their inspiration. Here's the encouragement to us. He says, so with renewed faith, let the generation of today hear this prophetic message that centers on the coming Messiah and his glorious kingdom once more. This is the challenge for us over these next eight months, that we with renewed faith would hear this prophetic message that centers on the coming Messiah and his glorious kingdom once more. This is not just some Bible trivia aid so that you can rattle off the names of the minor prophets or you can say, you know, who was Obadiah prophesying, prophesying to? It's not why we're doing this. This is not to puff out our chest and say, oh, well, our church preaches through all the Bible, even the really hard parts. It's not because your elders think that things are getting so bad in the world right now and so bad in our culture that we need to come in and kind of address them and say, oh, here's all these things and here's how the prophets parallel to that. Now, that might happen, right? We might make some of those connections, but we're not doing this because we have some ax to grind and we feel like, oh, we got to get ready and we got to prepare for suffering and all these things. And again, not that we don't, but we're not just coming at this because we've got some big agenda. We simply want to see Jesus together in all of scripture. I want to close with a quote. This is not a book I'm going to recommend to you. Uh, you can read it if you want, but it's called The Preacher's Catechism. Um, and this is uh, just a great book. So encouraging. Uh, he goes through, he kind of rewrites the Westminster Shorter Catechism questions for preachers. And it's just basically a, a devotional uh, this one, the question, I read this this morning, is what do the scriptures primarily teach? The answer is the scriptures are all about Jesus, the one to be proclaimed, trusted, and praised. So hear this word of encouragement to preachers, but it is a word of encouragement to you as well. He's talking about how all of scripture points to Jesus. He says, we struggle to see Jesus, though. Our eyes are not accustomed to looking for Jesus in whole swaths of the Old Testament. Even when we get to the New Testament, we end up making our Bible reading, and sometimes our sermons, all about ourselves. We forget Jesus as we handle his word, or we make Jesus the supporting actor as we try to play the lead role in God's drama. No wonder the Bible is a dull book when we forget that Jesus is its center. It was never actually about us in the first place, nor is, nor is it an interesting miscellany of facts, rules, ideologies, or life tips. The Bible is Jesus' book, all that God has to show us about his son and all that we need to come to his son and to be transformed by him. Make the Bible anything less than the discovery of Jesus, and no wonder we can so easily be dull preachers and disciples. Brothers and sisters, our challenge over this next eight months is not to be dull preachers or disciples. 
And the only way that we can do that is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's not get lost in crazy visions of flying scrolls and all of the the judgments against all these nations. These details are very important, but we can't miss Jesus in those details. And that is what we need to be held accountable to so that we don't become dull and what we want to encourage you all to do so that you hear and you follow Jesus. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, for your steadfast love, for your mercy, for how we can look to the scriptures, we can see your patience with your people. God, how you have been slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And how that was not just some thing for Israel as they wandered and as they were sent into exile. But it is true of how you are to us today, God, as as your church, as those who are prone to wander, as those who forget your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives, as those who need to be renewed and to be pointed back over and over to who Jesus is and to what he has done for us. So God, as we set out on this long journey over these next eight months through the minor prophets, help us not to lose sight of what it's all about. Help us to be reminded, God, that you are the one who speaks to your people. You are the one who reveals yourself to your people. God, that we would see, that we would hear, that we would know you more through your word, that we would love you. God, that we would lay down our lives, that we would be sent out into the world as your ambassadors, proclaiming the good news of the one who laid down his life for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.